Okay, good morning and good evening to whoever you are tuning in. We are glad to have you on the Back to Bethel podcast. Once again, I am your uh, co-host, Luke Waldrop, youth pastor at Bethel Missionary Baptist Church, and I'm joined here by Dr. Darren Waldrop. He is the senior pastor. He's my dad, senior pastor at Bethel Missionary Baptist Church in Spruce Pine, and today we are going to be interviewing him uh, this evening or this morning. Uh, it's currently Thursday, but when you're watching this, it'll be Friday or uh, whenever you get the chance. So I'm going to kick it over to Dad real quick to pray, and then we will get into it. Hey, thank you, friends and neighbors. Thank you for tuning in. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege you've given us to sit down and talk about things that pertain to your kingdom. I pray, Father, you'd help this podcast to reach the ends of the earth for your glory. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and all he's done for our lives and in our lives, and Lord, I ask God your blessing now would be upon each and every listener, Father, for those that are struggling, those that need a word of encouragement, all those that just need to um, go a little bit further down the road, Father, I pray that you might just minister to them somehow, some way. Reach them, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, um, we don't have special guests uh, per se, but we do have, uh, wanted to take some time, had people ask, people want to know, um, about dad. So figured we'd take this opportunity and uh, just sit down and talk with dad. We do have a special guest uh, that we got lined up earlier today uh, down the road, and we're super excited about that. Um, I don't know if we want to let the cat out of the bag yet, yet on that, yet, let's but hold. We'll, hold, we'll hold on you and make you, yeah, make you, sweat, make you sweat on it. Um, but so let's go ahead and get started. So dad, uh, tell us about your uh, salvation experience. Okay, well, um, I felt under conviction, terrible. I preacher been preaching about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the rapture. I was so worried I was going to miss it. I was having dreams at night about going to hell. It was terrible. Percy Ray been preaching. Dad get me to a place to where I could hear Percy Ray. We were at um, East Flat Rock First Baptist Church, and then we went to the Balfour Baptist Church, and it just, conviction was all around. And, and we'd go every single night to hear Brother Percy preach, and what a great man of God, what a powerful man of God that Brother Percy was, and, and very influential in my life. And on Thursday night, July 13th, 1978, I think it was a, might have been a Tuesday, I forget right now, um, he was preaching... 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Man, he was all over that stage that night. He's a roaring lion with that Mississippi accent that he had. And uh, the Holy Spirit just convicting me. And uh, that night when the invitation was given, not one single person made their way to the altar and uh, the preacher stepped out of the pulpit and the pastor was coming back up to dismiss the crowd and, and the preacher stopped and Brother Percy did and he turned around and he said wait a minute there's a lad here son this is your last chance oh help us Jesus I'd held to the back of that pew I trembled I'd white knuckled if you know what I mean holding the back of that pew I was all to pieces and finally when he went back up there I seemed like there was somebody beside me. seemed like I just kind of jumped over them. I looked at my dad. I said, Dad, I got to go. I think he'd even said to me, he said, Son, are you okay? I was trembling all over. Son, are you okay? You need to go. 
I said, Dad, I got to go. I jumped whoever it was beside me, took off down that aisle way, got up between the very front rows of that church, and my knees collapsed. Under guilt or the weight of sin, I was paralyzed. I couldn't go any further, and the altar was completely empty. And I thought, oh, my, I can't get any further, and I've missed it. I need to get that altar, and I've missed it. And my dad, he I didn't know he was behind me, but he was, praise the Lord. He came down. I was crying profusely. He said, son, what's wrong? I said, daddy, I need to be saved, and I didn't make it. And he's wiping tears, too. He knew what was wrong. And he said, Lord, he said, son, I've got good news. He's come to you. <laughs> and uh, he met me. Jesus met me in that aisle way, and he saved me. And uh, I'll never forget. I'll never forget it. And after all, he did come to me, didn't he? Not only did he come that night, but he came to Calvary just for me. And he came uh, out, of a, out of a grave just for me. And if you're listening tonight, I want to tell you something. He came just for you as well. Uh, he'll save your soul if you will but let him. We got in the car on our way home that night. I was so excited. You know, we drove home, and, and when we got home, I said, Dad, I want to call my grandma, which would be his mother. And uh, she lived in Hot Springs, North Carolina, about, I don't know, 60-plus miles away. And I called her whatever time it was that night, and I said, Grandma, I have something to tell you. Guess what happened to me? She said, you got saved. I said, oh, how did you know, Grandma? You stole my thunder. She said, me and the Lord. And she said, I've been praying about it. Me and the Lord's had church. Amen. <laughs> and uh, so she had been praying for me to be saved. Many of my family had been praying for me to be saved. as just a, a young fella, but I'm telling you, I was going to split hell wide open. So praise God, the Lord saved me. Amen. Amen. July 13th, 1978 at the Balfour Baptist Church. And did you know that after I had been saved for 25 years, I was asked to come preach at a youth service there. And God saved 25 people huh. in that youth service that night, 25 years wow. after I was saved. That's something. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Wow. It's about like with Papaw, seven years, seven days. That was se- seven years, seven months, seven days with that church. God just yeah. lines stuff up. It's, it's, he dots the I's, he crosses the T's. It's just amazing what he does. Yeah. Um, well, uh, a lot of people's probably heard your salvation story, uh, but let's talk a little bit now that we've covered your salvation. Um, uh, one of my favorite things that you talk about is backyard church. Uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about backyard church. Well, after I got saved, uh, I wanted to be. You know, my dad just surrendered to preach just sometime right at right around that time, right after that, if I remember right, maybe like that October. Uh, after that, and and um, we started a, a little church outdoors. I'll tell you, when he got when he surrendered to preach, I wrote a scripture down out of the book of Romans about how beautiful are the feet of them to preach the gospel, and I wrote that verse of scripture down and gave it to him on a piece of paper because I didn't know what did it mean for my daddy to be a preacher. What's 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 this going to do to our family? What's what's going to happen? And I had no idea the 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 mountaintops and the valleys. Uh, that our family would endure for that moment. But God's been good every single time. And uh, we started, me and my brother, we went and got some 40-gallon barrel drums that were in our backyard, and we turned them over sideways and set them down for pews. And we took, a, I think it was a wooden pallet, and laid it down and then took one of them 40-gallon barrel drums and just set it straight up. And my brother would lead the music, and I would uh, preach. And we would invite any of the boys that was in the neighborhood, they wanted to come over to our property and play football or basketball. We'd make them go to church with us first. 
We nailed tobacco sticks between the trees. We would invite our dogs and our cats and our grandmas and mom and dad and the boys next. Anybody that would come, we'd preach to them. And uh, one day, uh, we, uh, we were having a baptism. Uh, we were baptizing the cat uh, in the hall uh, bathroom. And we had the, uh, the bathtub all stopped up full of water, and we got, got the cat, and we are trying to force him in. Man, he, he did not believe in immersion. We were trying to get <laughs> him under all the way, and he was climbing. Mean, he had clawed me. I was bleeding everywhere, and we was, come on, get that cat, get that cat. And he ran out of the door and down the hallway, and my dad came, and he said, what on earth are you boys doing? I said, Dad, we're baptizing a cat. He said, you can't baptize a cat. They don't like water. You cannot baptize a cat. And I said, well, Dad, he ought to thought about that before he got saved. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were just pretending to have church. And, and um, a little bit later on in, a, in a, a service, we had one of the young men that was out there with us sitting on one of those 40-gallon barrel drums. When I finished preaching, he came to the altar. And I thought, wow, this is our first move of God, you know. <laughs> and I knelt down there with him. I thought he was just pretending or whatever because we thought we were pretending. And, and I knelt down. I was preaching the Word of God. I'd, I'd get my Bible, and I just, I just hadn't surrendered to preach, but I was just preaching, you know, just, just want to be like my daddy. And um, I looked over at him, and he was crying for real. And I said, man, what in the world? He said, I need to be saved. I'm going to hell. You just talked about it. How do I? You got saved. How do I get saved? I thought, Lord, have mercy. I just barely got in myself. What on earth am I going to do? And so I took off running in the backyard, uh, back door of our house. I said, Mom, his dad got home from work. His dad got home from work. He worked at GE. She said, I think he just came in. I went, praise God. I went running there to the bedroom. I said, Dad, there's a boy in the backyard down to altar, and he wants to be saved. He said, there's a what, who, where, when? I said, just get your Bible, Daddy, and come with me. He come racing out of the back uh, of the house, and sure enough, Keith, his name was Keith, was still bowed down at that uh, wooden altar. Out of that wooden pallet, and uh, he called on the Lord there, and he got gloriously saved at Backyard Baptist Church, amen? And then when it got really cold outside, December, January came around, we moved that church to our basement. So we just said that we put a sign up out there, like a squirrel's going to read it or something. It said, <laughs> it said uh, we've, we've moved to Basement Baptist Church. <laughs> Close the uh, and, doors of the backyard. Baptist. Yeah, Basement Baptist Church. And I think I think one time we renamed it maybe Burning Bush Baptist. We had some burning <laughs> bushes back there. Burning Bush. Well, that's a real name for a church, isn't it? <laughs> burning Bush. That's yeah. that's where Moses, you know, saw the Lord. Yeah. He, you know, in, in that that bush that was on fire but not consumed. Amen. Yeah. The right. fire was in the bush. There might be churches out there that's named Burning Bush Baptist Church. That's a great name for a church. <laughs> if you've got Burning Bush Baptist Church out there, look me up, send me a message and say, yes, we're, yes sir, we're in, we're in Colorado or wherever. You'd be amazed at how many people somehow are picking up this podcast on all these different places and write us back or let us know that we're watching. So if you're out there and you go to Burning Bush Baptist Church, let us know. Praise yeah. God. Um, so after Backyard Baptist, um, let's see, how old were you probably then? 12. Okay. So 13, 14. I, we did it every year. I mean, and we would take, you know, mom and dad would give us an allowance of 50 cents or a dollar. You know, we'd do in their chores or whatever. What a blessing it was to have parents who would actually give you money. Yeah. You know, when you're doing chores, you, you ought to be doing them for free. But they'd give us money, a little allowance, and, and we would take our mm -hmm. money. And we would put it together, and the offerings we would we would try to take up offerings at Burning Bush Baptist Church or at Backyard Baptist Church, 
And uh, we would take all the money and we would buy Bibles and we would send them into foreign countries. And, and I would tell you where those countries are, but you'd probably have somebody that uh, would try to stop us from what we were doing. But yeah. we were sending in those Bibles to try to be a blessing and maybe somebody got saved. Yeah. You know, you never know. You, you never know. And, and we would just have enough to maybe send two Bibles or five Bibles, but we were faithful to send it in. And, uh, Backyard Baptist Church had missions. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk um, between, let's see, how, how old were you when you were called to preach? The Lord started dealing with me about preaching in 1993. Okay. So let's, let's, fill, let's fill the gap. Um, tell us about your life between your high school years up to uh, – before you got called to preach, like um, just different instances. Going to school, met a girl, <laughs> got married, had babies, <laughs> uh, you know, going to church, trying to serve God. Um, I can remember there was a time, Luke, that I, your mother and I, we, we, we both had good jobs. We were working hard. We were being faithful to church and, 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 if you're out, out here and you're, you're young, new married, young married, listen to me for a second. You, you see success, and you're going to see that you're, everything is going really, really well, and, 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 and then you start missing a Wednesday night, and then a Sunday night service goes. Well, I, you know, I'm still faithful. I go on Sunday morning. I mean, if you think about it, the, the word faithful, it's relevant. There are people that come to church every Christmas, yeah. and they would consider themselves faithful because they come every Christmas. So is faithful once every 52 weeks? Is faithful three times in one week? I mean, what is, is it at every meeting, every time the door's open? So everybody's got their own definition of faithful. But don't forget, God's got his definition of faithful as well. Yeah. And I want to be faithful in God's eyes, okay? And so Wednesday night would go by the wayside, Sunday night would go by the wayside, then a few Sunday mornings went by the wayside, and we just kind of started getting ourselves out of church. We were... Tired, working all the time, had big debt, um, you know, got in it, got in over our heads, cars and, and uh, car payments and house payments and all that stuff, and and just started getting ourselves basically um, out of church. And God laid a whooping on us. I'm telling you, He whooped us. I won't even go into what and all He did, but He whooped us. Um, you, you may be out there and say God would not whip you if you belong to God. He will whip you because as a father. He is going to chastise his children. And chastisement came in my life. And you know what? I got angry about it. Hmm. You ever had your daddy whip you? Oh, yeah. And then you got angry about him whipping you? Oh, yeah. I was angry. I, I, was, I was not in repentance at the moment I got my whipping. And it, it only got a little bit worse and worse and worse, and I started getting bitter and, and, and not instead of better, and it was just, it was just not good. And I was flipping the channels on TV. I think I was watching the Sunday afternoon. Didn't go to church again on that Sunday morning. Here my dad is a preacher. I come from a church-going family, and I'm starting to falter. And um, flipped the channels, watching a football game between commercials, and uh, here's this guy talking funny. You know, I stopped because he's preaching and he's talking funny. And I started listening to him. You, you know, it was, <clears throat> it's David Ring. And, man, he, uh, he was – preaching about his cerebral palsy and all the difficulties and problems that he's had in his life. And 
I never went back to the football game. I started listening to this guy at the difficulties and the problems and the back sets and the things he had gone through. And, and when he finished, he said, you know, he said, uh, what's your problem? Why are you singing the blues? What, what is it that happened to you that you cannot get over? And I'm not making fun of him. I'm just telling you that's the man was preaching yeah. to many people, but specifically to me. And on my face in front of the TV, I repented and got right with God. And I said, Lord, I will, if you'll let me live, I'll get back in church and we're going to go three squares a week. My, my, my daughter had, had just maybe been born and I forget, it might've been right before she was born, but maybe Miss Gina was with child, but I got right with God and buddy, we got ourselves back in church three squares a week and have been ever since. That was a life changing. And then, um, God started dealing with me about preaching in, in uh, 93. Um, I'll give you the preacher. His name was Larry Henderson, brother Larry and Miss Doris. Um, they, they told me they, I surrendered to preach under his ministry. He was there preaching revival. God we had him preach a message at Fletcher. Okay. At Fletcher First Baptist, your grandpa was the pastor there. Hadn't been there very long. Yeah. He was elected in? 93. 93. Yep. The blizzard of 93. Um, and um, in 94, now God started calling me in 93. And, I, and in that October of 93, um, I had Brother Larry Henderson come and preach out of John 15, where it says, I'm the true vine. And he got down here to this verse, in verse number 5 of John 15, says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. You ever seen those house plants that, that maybe it'll run up the wall and, and across the ceiling and down by the window, and, and they'll just keep pinning it up as it keeps going? He brought one of them plants to church, and, man, he chopped that thing and cut. I mean, it was cut six ways from Sunday. He threw it everywhere. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And he went back and he said, he, he began to talk about that what happens if you're not in the vine. He, he begins to say that you'll be cast forth. You're going to wilt. You're going, what's going to happen? These little pieces is cut loose. And he said, and if you're in the vine, you'll do what he says do. What the root of the vine says do, the branches do. Yeah. Man, I went to that altar that night, and I was just like, Lord, I, you know, you've, you've allowed me to serve as a deacon, uh, Sunday school superintendent, Sunday school teacher. Um, uh, you know, God's called me to preach, and I'm willing to do anything to get out of preaching because I didn't want to give a book report in school, you know. Um, I, I surely didn't want to have to stand up there and, and preach. And uh, I went to the altar, and God surely called me that very day. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to run. But I believe that every man ought to make his calling and his election sure. I wanted to test it in all four seasons, 365 days in the year. I wanted to experience every day with the call of God on my life to see if I could get out of it. I would talk to preachers and they'd say, listen, if you can get out of it, he didn't call you. Yeah. And I was trying to wiggle free. And uh, in 94, my dad had uh, Brother Larry come back to preach revival. And he was going to preach two nights, and then he was going to have another preacher come preach the rest of the week. And I thought, oh, Lord, Larry's coming back. And that's the one that's initiated the call through Brother Larry's ministry. And many, many of you have probably never even heard of Brother Larry Henderson. He told me, he said, he said, you're the only young man that's ever surrendered to preach under my ministry. Huh. You're the only one I reached for 
being called to preach, others had been saved. Yeah. That's what he told me at that time. And um, I dreaded him coming back Monday and Tuesday night. I dreaded it like the plague because I knew, I knew God was going to get me. Monday night, I barely made it through that service that night. Dear Lord, it was just terrible. And then Tuesday night, I dreaded going back. I thought, oh, i got to get out of this. What on earth am I going to do? Um, right before service, Miss Gina got mysteriously ill. I mean, terribly sick, couldn't go. And um, I went on anyway without her. And that night, the, the, the preacher, oh, my, he took the text out of 1 Kings chapter number 19. He was preaching about how Elijah went up in the cave. And, and the Lord said, what doest thou here, Elijah? He didn't say, what are you doing there? Yeah. He said, what are you doing here? There's a difference between there and here. The difference is where God is and where God's speaking. God mm-hmm. was in that cave with Elijah. Yeah. Amen. And Elijah came out on the mouth of that cave, and, and you know, he'd been praying. He, he said, uh, the strong wind came, and it broke the rocks in pieces. And then after the wind, an earthquake. And it says the Lord wasn't in the wind. Then after the wind, an earthquake. And the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. And the Lord wasn't in the fire. And let me tell you what I've been praying. In that year's time, I've been praying, Lord, send us such a wind storm that it blows a tree down in my yard. And if you blow a tree down in my yard, I'll know you called me. That'll be the sign. Well, nothing happened. I said, Lord, if you will let the... Let it get so dry or an earthquake come and split the ground in my front yard or my backyard with an earthquake or, or just so so dry. Let it not rain. Lord, if there be a little fire just over there in that little forest just across from where we live, I'll know you call me. None of those things. My dad got mysteriously sick. He went into the hospital to have... Um, Colon surgery, intestinal surgery, should have been in the hospital a day or two, maybe three max, and come home. And um, he ended up, I don't know if the bowel got nicked or what happened, but peritonitis set up. and He began to swell. They did a second surgery. They did a third surgery. He's been in the hospital now, I think he's in there total, 35 days, if memory serves me correct. We didn't have anybody else preacher, preaching in the church. And so as a deacon, I felt like it was my duty. And the other deacon said, I want you to get up and, and, and share the gospel with people. And so I would get up and fill in for dad in those days. And people were getting, sa- people were getting saved. <laughs> I mean, 12 saved, 11 saved, people getting saved. I'm not even preaching, but, I, you know, God's just telling me about it. And uh, there dad laid after third surgery. The doctor said, it's out of my hands. I've done all I can do. Dad was laying there, basically comatose, not able to, couldn't look at us, couldn't, I mean, he's just breathing. That was it. Just a sheet laying over him, he's just breathing. Later in the night, man, we got to pray, and I got to read my Bible about the woman with the issue of blood, touching the hem of his garment as Jesus passed by. I said, Lord, if you'll heal my daddy, I'll surrender. If you'll heal my daddy, I'll know. Bless God. My mama, she started praying. She said, Lord, Thank you for giving him to me, but he's been yours the whole time. I, I can't solve it. The doctor can't solve it. My children can't solve it. Lord, we're turning back over to you. And, man, we got to praying, and, and all of a sudden, out from my daddy's hand moved out from underneath the bed sheet that was covering him, and he began to reach and reach. And in midair, he grabbed a hold of something, and the other hand, 
as he let loose, came up, and he, he put his hand up like this, and he opened his eyes, and he said, praise God. He started glorifying God. And we'd seen Dad go through. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible time, terribly sick. People have no idea how terribly sick that he was, I don't think. And, and uh, God healed him. In front of my eyes, I said, Lord, if you'll heal him, I'll tell everybody. In fact, I'm telling y'all tonight what God did as a result uh, of, of what he did. All these years later, I'm telling you tonight. Yeah. And still, Luke, after all that, I wouldn't surrender. Mm. God gave me every sign. I wouldn't surrender. Yeah. And now I'm saying, now, Lord, I want a windstorm. I, I, want, I want an earthquake. Lord, I want a fire. God didn't give me any of them. Brother Larry was preaching. That's the text he used. He said, you're here tonight, and you've been looking for a sign. He didn't know what I was been praying. <laughs> you've been looking for I guess the Holy Ghost told him. You've been looking for a sign. You've been waiting for a windstorm to blow a tree down. You've been waiting for an earthquake to open your yard up. You've been waiting for a fire. But the Bible says, after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small, small voice. voice. And he preached that night on the still, small voice. And he said, here's the thing. The calling, you can't get away from it. The voice, you can't get away from it. And, dude, it was me. Yeah. I just say, dude, <laughs> it was me. God was all over me that night. And, and I began to just race and say, Lord, Lord, please. I mean, I don't want to give a book report. I, I can't stand up there. And here people have been getting saved. And and um, I said, Lord, my wife's not here tonight. If, if Lord, I, I'll do it tomorrow when my wife's here. And God showed me. He said, I'm going to take your wife. You're going to preach. Shelby was just two. I'm going to take your little girl. You're going to preach. I'm going to cut your arm off right down here in this 90-degree curve. You're going to preach without a wife, without a daughter. You're going to preach without an arm. But I've called you to preach. This is it. What will it be? And the preacher was coming out of the pulpit. He said, wait a minute before I stop. I mean, listen. My dad had got up and he said, nothing. I mean, people went to the altar and stuff. I didn't dare go. And um, people went to the altar and stuff, and the altar cleared up, and dad called on somebody to pray. And I said, Lord, if you'll stop them from praying, I'll go right now. I'll do it. And my dad said, I think he called on Don Livingston to pray. He said, Don, before you pray, somebody needs to do what God's told him to do. Mm. Son, out of there, I came a squalling <laughs> on my face. My dad met me. Larry Henderson met me. He said, what's wrong, son? I said, God is calling me to preach. Will you boys help me to pray? And I fell down on my face. And neither one of them two rascals would pray a lick. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't hear them praying. But they couldn't surrender for me, and I knew that. But I think they were so emotional and spirit-filled. They couldn't do a thing. But I just I started praying. I said, God, I'll, I'm sorry that I have took all this time, but I want to make sure. and Don't ever let me doubt it. And God, don't, don't let me go without your power. Give me the power to persuade men that there's a God, whether I'm in the marketplace or in the church place. Lord, Give me power. Never let me. I've doubted a lot of things, but I've not doubted that. Lord, please don't ever let me doubt this. And God, help people to be saved and help young men to surrender to preach. God, use me. And um, when I finished, run up that white flag of surrender, stood up to tell the church what had happened. I was very emotional.
while I was sharing it, here come another young man of the altar. He got saved. While I, I guess I was preaching. And then on the other side, another young man came up for surrender to preach. As a, as a token sign to me, Yeah, I've done everything I've asked you to. What you asked me for, I can do exceeding abundantly above all. You can ask or pray for. I can do it. I can yeah. do it. And he did it that very night. I came home. I told my wife, I said, honey, we need to talk. She said, you surrendered to preach tonight, didn't you? I said, how did you know? She said, I got better after you left. And I started, she said, I just didn't feel like I was supposed to be there. It was just between you and the Lord. I don't understand. But she said, I knew when I married you, God showed me I was marrying a preacher. I said, you're kidding. (laughs) He didn't show me. Amen. And, um, you know, I I surrendered to preach. And I I really thought that the rapture would happen. Um, Dad asked me to preach that very next Sunday. I thought the rapture would happen. I would never, ever, God would not be, He would not make a decision to let me stand on the pulpit and preach. I mean, I'm a fool, you know. And that next morning, listen to this, Luke, I went to work. And I was was working, I was loading up these big end panels for what's called a wardrobe, and I was putting them in these big bread racks. They'd just come off the finish line. I was putting them up there. We were going to go build a wardrobe. It's got sides and a top and a nice cabinet and I was putting that piece up there, and it hit the end of that bread rack, and it started to fall. I mean, that thing costs a lot of money. Yeah. And it's heavy. And I put my foot out to try to catch it, and I had on steel-toed shoes, and it hit just above where the steel-toed shoes was. Mm. Oh, man, it crushed. Oh, it just hurt so bad. And the rest of the day, the devil jumped on my shoulder and said, Boy, you've done it now. Said you surrendered to preach last night, big boy. Been so excited. Now what? Look at you now. Well, I worked all day. I wasn't about to give the devil the place. I worked all day. Came home from work. Took off my steel-toed shoes, rolled down my sock, and when I did, immediately, my foot began to swell. The biggest blue-black-looking bloody field thing you've ever seen on top of my foot. My wife come home, Miss Gina come home, and she said, Honey, we got to get you to the hospital. Not even going to go back to revival. Just surrendered to preaching night before. Can't get to go to revival. Got to go to the hospital. Mm. Called my dad. Pray for me. Got there to the hospital. Said, Lord, please. Pardon the pun, but don't let the devil get a toehold in my life. <laughs> don't let him defeat. Don't let it be broken, God. I've been asked to preach this next Sunday morning. Don't don't please, God. Don't let it be broken. They went x-rayed it. The doctor came and he says, well, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is it's not broken. And the bad news is it's the biggest hematoma I've ever seen in my life, and you're going to wish that it had been broken. And I went, hallelujah, God did what I asked. And so Sunday morning when I got up to preach, my first message, you know what my title was? This and that. I called it this with a letter N, this and that. So when people ask me, what did you preach for your first message? I preached this and that. (laughs) (laughs) I preached it all. And so, but I got up to preach. With my sneakers on, I could not get my Sunday shoes on, my dress shoes. So here I am. I, I don't even own a suit, really. I think I had a pair of slacks and a, a sport coat that maybe didn't match. I don't even remember how that was. But but I remember that I had to put my sneakers, my high-top sneakers on, and I couldn't even lace them up. The, the tongue was hanging out of my high-top sneakers. Here I was. I went up there just limping up the pulpit, but I was also I was broke and weeping and crying and Walked up the pulpit, my foot hurt so bad. Dad said, you want to preach in a chair? I said, absolutely not. I'm going to preach standing, Dad. And so he introduced me. And let me t- let me tell you, Luke, I might get tore up right here. 
me tell you, Luke, what, here's what he did. He opened his Bible. He calls me up there. He opens his Bible. He hugs my neck. And he reaches down. And he, he, he looks at a scripture, and he pulls out a piece of paper. It says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. He had kept my little note I'd written all those years from nineteen seventy eight to nineteen ninety four now here it has been what sixteen years he's kept that note in his Bible that I gave him, and he said he reached God knew sixteen years later I'd be called to preach God knew, yeah, that the very thing that I had in my daddy, God was going to give it right back to me mm. that's just how God is it's yeah. just how amazing how God lines things up, and so you know, I started serving. Uh, there preaching in the church, and and I did preach the first message, and Dad would let me preach about every two or three weeks. You know, he'd let me preach, and he ordained me. Uh, the Fletcher First Baptist ordained me. They elected me the uh, Fletcher First Baptist Church associate pastor. Can you believe it? <laughs> that that was those poor people. I cut my teeth preaching teeth on the pews in the old sanctuary of the Fletcher First Baptist Church. And I got to serve, and I think they paid me, Luke, I could look it up and tell you, I think they paid me like $40 a week. Woo, $40 <laughs> a week, and I get to preach. And me, the associate pastor at the Fletcher First Baptist Church, how exciting to serve with your dad in that capacity. Yeah. And um, what, what tremendous, I mean, J. Harold Smith preached there, uh, great revival meetings, 50 saved here, 20, Brian Gillum came and preached. I'm 30 some. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, hundreds of people added to that church, and I was just watching it all unfold before my very eyes and watch my dad. Listen, dad would go pick up Gerald Smith and bring him back to the church to preach. We'd pick him up at the motel or go to Newport, Tennessee and pick him up and bring him back. And man, I'd say, Dad, can I go with you? I won't say a word, Dad. I'll just sit in the back seat. Let me hear what the man of God's got to say. Y'all, I learned so much listening to J. Harold Smith sitting in the back of the car, him and my dad. Luke, I, I went to pick him up. He had met my wife, Miss Gina. When he met her, he said, son, you've had to tell a lot of lies to get the, that beautiful young lady to, to marry the likes of you. That's what, <laughs> that's what he said. And um, we went to, to pick him up, and I met his wife, Murtis. I'd seen her before at Camp Zion. She was in the motel room. Her health wasn't good. She wasn't able to go. And I walked in that motel room, and there she was. She's had a glow about her. And I said, Preacher, you've had to tell a lot of lies to get her to marry the likes of you, you know. And he said, I'll, he started laughing. He said, Son, I'll have my tie on in just a moment. And he was tying his tie there, looking in the mirror. And there's a lamp in a motel room. There's a lamp there. And there's a yellow legal pad leaned up against the lamp. Leaned up. Yeah. I said, Preacher, is this your notes for tonight? He said, no, it's my daily love letter to Jesus. I said, it's your what? He said, it's my daily love letter to Jesus. He said, you can read it if you want to. Jesus has already seen it. <laughs> well, I thought, well, wow, I want to read what the preacher wrote. I want to be respectful. I don't want to be disrespectful, but he said I could. So I got that, pulled it down underneath that lamp. And man, the tear stains were all over the, 
I mean, such beautiful words that he wrote to Jesus. He write one every day, he said. And, um, man, Brother Dr. Smith, he had the power of God on him. I, I was tore up. We left out of that room. We went walking down through there. He went to the front desk, and he said, Hello, young lady. My name is J. Harold Smith. What's yours? And she told him. He said, uh, Are there any messages for me that I might have missed today? And she said, No, sir. He said, Well, I've got a message for you. He said, I'm a preacher. Jesus has saved me and called me to preach. Oh, are you a Christian, young lady? She said, I don't know. And man, he just so politely began to witness to her. We're getting ready, we're getting ready to load up and go to church. Begin to witness to her, and she got gloriously saved. I watched it. We got in the car with the church. More people got saved. We brought him back that night. When he was coming back in, he said, are you still saved, honey? She said, I sure am. He said, do I have any messages while I was gone? She said, no. She said, but I have some people that want to meet you. And she brought all her friends that worked with her there at the motel. And he was leading them. They were getting down in the motel lobby, wow. getting saved. Wow. The next day when we went back, listen to this. There was a guy that got saved the night before. He was a barber. He got saved in the meeting. And he called my dad. He said, listen, he said, the Lord's let on my heart to cut his hair for free. So dad said, I don't mean for you to take this wrong, but there's this guy that wants to talk to you. He got saved last night. He's a barber. He said, he, he wants to cut your hair. And he said, well, praise the Lord. He said, you know, my regular barber got sick before I came down here. My hair's a little long, and I was praying, God, would you send somebody to cut my hair? I don't know. I'm in a new town. So, and ain't it just like God <laughs> to save somebody that cut your hair? I mean, I never met anybody just like him, you know. Yeah. So so that's about 94, 95, 90, 96, you know, yeah. serving there at Fletcher First Baptist, seeing God do great, great things. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, let's go into um, you becoming the pastor at Zion Hill, um, you've been the associate pastor at Fletcher. Uh, let's talk about you moving on to becoming a, a lead pastor at somewhere. I didn't want to. I ain't going to lie. I didn't want to. I, I, I filled in as an interim one place. And I, they said, we feel like you're the guy. Nope. You feel like you're the guy. Nope. Um, I finally told them, I said, unless you start looking at somebody else, I'm not coming back to be the interim anymore. I mean, it just and, – and, and then Zion Hill called me and said, uh, you know, you come preach. And I came on – Asked me to come and preach on Sunday morning. When I got there, I sat down in the back of the church on a Sunday morning. Sat on the back row. I sat on the back row. The preacher sat on the back row. And I found a dime and a penny laying in the book rack. First time there. God said, I'm going to save 11 souls here. Hmm. We had 23. Yeah. I got up to the pulpit and I preached. I don't know what I preached now, but I said, God said he's going to save 11 people. Well, the altar was full. About everybody, I mean, all 23 of them was probably in the altar, including my, my wife with my, with my daughter as well. And I was down on my face behind the pulpit. And um, they said, can you come back tonight? And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm booked to preach somewhere tonight. And they said, well, what about coming back next Sunday, next Sunday morning? I said, okay. I come back the next Sunday morning. And um, great service again. And they said, can you come back tonight? I said, you didn't ask me about tonight. I'm booked tonight. And they said, what? I, they said, well, will you come next Sunday morning and Sunday night? I said, well, sure. And I came. And and um, anyway, they they felt led to ask me to become pastor. Very exciting. But I was going to leave Fletcher. And that was my home. 
Yeah. That was my place. I surrendered to preach in that church. And I loved that church. I loved them young people. I was like kind of an associate youth pastor, if, you, if I could say that. And I'm going to a church that don't have any young people. They got 23 older people. Don't have, and the only young person there is my daughter. And I didn't want to go. But I was excited because God, God was telling me I got to go. And so I had to resign my position, and I wept, and I cried much at Fletcher. And, and I got to Zion Hill, and I said, Lord, will you just turn this into my Fletcher? Make Zion Hill a little Fletcher. And God got in that church. Man, he started saving people. The first week I was elected as pastor, I said, let's have Bible school. Did y'all have Bible school this year? No. Let's have Bible school. Well, we don't have any material. I said, what do you mean? So we got to order material. You know, got to get these things to hang up, and you got to get these little pamphlets and courtlies to pass out. And I said, you got the word of God. If you got your Bible, you got what you need. And that week, on August the 11th, God saved, when I preached that night in that church at Bible school, 10 young people. My first week there, I drove home, and at 11 o'clock at night, this lady called me, mother and dad, called me and says, our daughter needs to talk to you. She was 11 years old. Y'all listen. On the 11th, at 11 o'clock at night, an 11-year-old girl called me, said, I needed to be saved, preacher. I should have been in that number that got saved at Bible school tonight. She was the 11th one. God saved. I'm going to say, God said I'm going to save 11 here. And he did it. Yeah. And I saw that church just, just grow. And we bought property and turned it into parking lots and redid fellowship halls and, 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 and just continued to, we turned downstairs storage rooms and the Sunday school rooms because we're just out of room. We, you know, we're, and we're buying more property and we don't know what on earth we're going to do. And, and now, you know, we, we are four or five years later, we're, we're running two thirty. It's times 10. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. The, and every week something, I mean, a, a, a neighboring pastor had asked me at the Crossroads Baptist church had asked me, said, can you come to our church and preach revival? Now, the church next door don't usually call the church next door no. for their preacher to come preach, you know. But we were friends. We went up to Bearwalla Mountain, and we prayed together that God would send revival. I didn't know he was going to ask me. I thought he was going to bring in, you know, some great. Right. And, and I said, well, yeah, but I don't really know much about revival. I said, that's why I'm asking you. Come on. <laughs> Was this your first revival? Or have you uh, pre- not, I've preached revivals before, okay. but but – and God had saved and moved and, and went two and three weeks. And, and let me tell you what happened. Preached there a week. The last night God saved one, the preacher said, can you come back next one, one night at a time now? Can you come back, bring your crowd Sunday night, come back? Went Sunday, Monday, two, we went two weeks, three weeks. Now the, it's in January. January. The church is filled. They're opening the windows. People are backing their pickup trucks up to the window, setting Honest to the Lord, sitting in lawn chairs, sitting on the back of their pickup trucks, leaned in the wind. I seen a what is a known drug dealer walk the back of the pews, getting to the altar when somebody got up from being saved. God saved I, 70, 80 people wow. 
Wow. We baptized after four, maybe the fifth week of revival, we baptized 52 people into the Zion Hill Baptist Church, where I pastored, the Crossroads Baptist Church, and the Mountain View Baptist Church, which was another neighbor. The the (laughs) revival broke out in our community. We started a Tuesday night men's prayer meeting, the first Tuesday of every month, started a prayer meeting, all the churches getting together down there praying. And God got in that place and began to move in a mighty way. The wind of God and the fire of God and the power of God moving in that community like nothing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Incredible. It's because people joined together. They weren't they weren't on opposite sides of each other. A lot of times churches, especially nowadays, a lot of churches they especially you're close. They kind of see each other as competition. Well, though they're not, though it's not competition. Some people will see. Well, I don't want to get involved with them because they're going to take my people, or vice versa. Well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to make anybody mad. But in that community, there were a number of churches, and I sent a letter to everyone, begging them to come together to pray. And when they come, bring a rock. We're going to lay a rock altar. And we're going to pray at it. Not every church came. But of the ones that did, every single one of them had people saved in their church in that revival meeting. Wow. Everyone. And we saw, in, I mean, incredible things. One, one time, Luke, I asked my dad to come down and preach revival for us. Brassy Morgan had been the pastor there years and years before. And, and people were telling me, Brassy Morgan, back in the day, this church was on fire and and it's happening again. And I've been praying that that the Lord would be uh, the glory in the midst and the wall of fire round about. That's what I've been preaching. And um, on a Sunday night, uh, some of the children came running in and said, Preacher, just like you said, just like you said, you got to come back here. And I said, what? I stepped out the door, and it was, the church was completely dry. You could walk about seven or eight feet off the church property or off the church steps, all the way around the church. I would run around that church when people get saved, not just in the building, outside. Yeah. It was completely dry. But beyond that, in a complete circle, all the way around that building, pouring the rain. Huh. I was so excited. I, I come home and call my dad and said, Dad, you can believe it. He is the glory in the midst and the wall of fire around about. The church was completely dry in seven or eight feet. We tried to measure it. Seven to eight feet, Dad. It was pouring rain all the way around. Dad said, wow. He wasn't excited. <laughs> he wasn't impressed. I thought, you got to see this yourself, Dad. Next Sunday night, we're going to start revival. Would you come down and preach revival for us? I said, God, please do it again. Guess what? I'm standing at the back, Sunday night, first night of the meeting. I'm standing at the back shaking hands. Youngest start running. It's happening again, preacher. It's happening again. I said, don't tell me. Tell my dad. <laughs> and they got him and, and they brought him, they brought him outside and, and he he looked around bewildered. He said, This is the most incredible thing I've ever witnessed. I said, I told you. He's the glory in the midst and the wall of fire around the bath. I'm just telling you, God can do all things. I mean, in the stories and the people being saved and the, the train that used to there's a train across from Highway 25 that would come up through there. And about the time, used to, that train whistle would go, woo, woo, and he would interrupt the service. It would be louder than our choir. It would be louder than my preaching. I'd just have to stop, wait for the train to go by. I said, oh, oh, oh. And then I learned that every time that train come by, 
something spectacular had just happened in the church. Uh-huh. And I didn't know that wasn't his glory train coming by. <clears throat> Amen. Hallelujah to God. And so uh, just incredible uh, the things that God would do. And people would get saved and the train would come by. Boop, boop. You know, it was just huh. I mean, it's, it's unreal. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> talked about being there at Zion Hill. How many years were you at Zion Hill? About five. Five years. Okay. Um, <coughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, trying to think. Um, our our family uh, catastrophe, the dam breaking. When when was all that? Oh, back in the seventies. Okay. Back in back in the way before okay. that. Way before that. Yeah. Talk a little talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> way before that, um, uh, our family lived in a trailer. Um, they had a, there was a house, a trailer, and another trailer, and um, they were uh, in the in the trailer one night, and they put little Christopher to bed. He's probably two and a half, three years old. He had a six-month-old daughter named Shannon. And um, the pouring rain outside. And, you know, uh, little Christopher, he comes out of the bed, and, and he comes back and he says, um, I'm scared. There's a hand reached down for me and made a motion for me. And they thought, oh, you're just a scaredy cat. Get some water and go back to bed. But the water kept rising. And finally, they said, you know what? We need to get out of this trailer. It's going to be swept away off its foundation, off these, you know, it's, it's, it's mobile. Yeah. And so they said, let's go to the house. Well, there was, again, there was a trailer, a trailer, and the, and the house. So they were in the end trailer, and they got out of the house, making their way up towards, uh, got out of the, the trailer, making their way up to the house. Up, and as they got as far as to that middle trailer, and the water got so deep and gushing just so fast, so forceful, they couldn't get any further. They went into that middle trailer, and it swept it off its feet. And it just began to mangle it as it washed it down that little old bit. I mean, honest, that creek, normally, it's not even wrist deep. And um, now it is a force. There was a lake that burst up above it, and the water came down. And, and um, my cousin uh, drowned um, trying to hold his two-, three-year-old son, Christopher, who also drowned um, uh, some of their good friends that was with them, uh, very avid swimmer, young man, probably 30-some years old, drowned. Um, six-month-old baby they found wrapped up like a doll in a tree. They thought that's what it was, drowned. I mean, here, my family's got one funeral, casket, 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 casket. It's unreal uh, what the family had to go through there. And, and one cousin, you know, it was sweeping her away. She would have probably drowned. She said she was headed for a bridge. And she said, a 16-year-old firefighter reached down. She said, a hand reached down and pulled her up out of the water. She believed it was a firefighter that rescued her. About a 16-year-old young man rescued her out. She said, there were snakes wrapped around my legs. They were fighting for their lives like I was fighting for my life. And that saved her. And I think she had a girlfriend that was there, too. And somebody had pulled her out of the water as, as well. Just a, a tragedy back in the early 70s that, that happened. To our family, and I know this, that when when God says that um, you better do business with him, his way, he's not kidding. Yeah. I mean, you never know when a tragedy can strike you. You think you're safe, but the truth of the matter is we're probably the most fragile things it's ever been. Yeah. That's that's early 70s. Okay. I didn't know. I was trying. I didn't know if that was during. I didn't know how old you were. Oh, when, I was just a that. little fellow. Yeah. I was probably six, seven years old, yeah. you know, when, when all that happened, and I never seen anything like it. Um, okay. So let's go 
keep going in progression of time. Uh, Zion Hill moving to Bethel. Yeah. Uh, Lord showed me that it was time for me to leave uh, Zion Hill. We were growing. I said, Lord, we're in revival. Um, I was working a full-time job. I'm trying to be a pastor as well. Church is doing great. There's not even a rumor of a fight going on. God said, I want you to resign your church. Uh, and I want, uh, excuse me, I want you to quit your, first thing he said was, I want you to quit your job, and I want you to go full-time in the ministry. Well, it's hard to do because you feel like, you feel like that it's not tr- God you're trusting. You feel like you're trusting people, people in that church, and they could throw you out yeah. quick. And um, so I wrestled and wrestled with that. And finally I said, under my desk at work, I said, okay, God. And, and there are witnesses. There's, I know there's one man who, in particular, he's talked to me about it since. He said, I came by your desk. I saw you huddled up underneath your desk praying. And he said, I knew you was seeking God's face about something. So I said, Lord, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll quit my job and I'll go full-time. And the Lord said, now that you're willing to go full-time at Zion Hill, I want you to resign your church. Son, how are you going to go full-time in the ministry when you quit your job, your public job, and you resign your church? And I preach a revival here, there, yonder. You know, I mean, 52 weeks in a year, I probably preached eight or ten. Yeah. I didn't even have a business card. I didn't have a resume. I'd, you know, I, I would write down my name on Somebody give me a Kleenex. I'd write down my name on the back of a Kleenex and booked a meeting to go to Bryson City uh, on the back of a Kleenex uh, on the, on the back of, of a napkin at a restaurant. I mean, it's just a, you know, I didn't. I was just a young man just trying to serve God. I didn't have any aspirations of doing anything but just preaching the next service. Yeah. And God said, "I want you to resign your church." And so I talked to J. Harold Smith about it. And uh, he, he specifically shared with me what I needed to do. And within two days, God hit just exactly, told just exactly what the preacher had said. And uh, God sent me to Spruce Pine right after that. I resigned my church is on Hill. And then within two days, three churches, call, three churches called. I didn't know which one to go to. And the preacher said, lay out a fleece. I don't know nothing about laying out no fleece. He said, well, when you tell them to pray, the one that says we already have, let that be the one. I said, oh, that's great. Oh, what a great idea. So I, first church, oh, it was a beautiful church, big church. I, I thought, man, I'm not worthy to be here, but this will be a blessing. And um, I said, y'all be praying. They said, we will be praying. Not what I wanted to hear. Another church near our home in Hendersonville. We will be praying. Not what I wanted to hear. Spruce Pine, we've already prayed, preacher. God showed us. That's why we're calling you. Oh wow, I'm going to Spruce by North Carolina. I mean <laughs> Hicksville, USA, and 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 I love it. And and went there. Um they they elected me uh, to serve as pastor there. Um we had hundred and forty four people, thought that was an interesting number. Hundred and forty four people present, uh not for Sunday school, for preaching on the day that I surrendered to preach at, at Bethel in Spruce Pine. And, again, we have seen God do miraculous things, revivals that he sent, souls that he saved, lives that he's changed. He's grown me and matured me as a pastor. And one time, Luke, I even went and got one of those hand, handheld camcorders. God was showing me I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. 
And I thought, man, the devil's going to kill me before I get all this done. And I, I just thought my heart was going to rupture. And I videoed all the things God showed me that wanted to be done. And I kept that. And do you still have it? I, I somewhere. I got I got sick, ended up in the hospital. I thought, well, I'm gonna die right here. And I got out of the hospital. It was in October, I got out of the hospital, and son, God did all seven things that he said he was gonna do. I mean, in all seven things. And I thought, well, I guess I've done all seven things he showed me to do. I, 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 now, what's next? I don't know what to do now. And did you know every year, kind of end of the year, about October to December, he'll start showing me seven things that he wants to accomplish the next year. I don't bring it before our church. Um, I don't confer with flesh and blood. I just say, okay, God, if that's what you want done. Help me lead our church to accomplish it. And I've not done one thing that they didn't agree with as far as, you know. Yeah. and and um, But it's just following them God. And I just told them the other night, just the other night at church, I said, you better follow God. When God says do something, follow God. Not because I am or am not your pastor. Follow what God tells you to do no matter what one of these days i'll get hit by a bus something's going to happen i'm going to be taken home to heaven if the upper taker doesn't come first amen and son follow god and church follow god neighbors friends follow god you, i mean i'm telling you my, my favorite verse in the scripture is found in the book of titus and i don't want to misquote a word that it says i don't want to paraphrase it and put it there in ology but it says looking for that blessed hope you know that's been I guess my whole ministry has been about looking for that blessed hope. In every situation, let's find hope in this situation. Let's look for Jesus. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and of our Lord of, and of our Savior. I want to say Lord. And of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I always want to say and of our Lord and Savior. Of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope. And, you know, there people get in situations and they think, oh, this is so hopeless. I just want to tell you, there are no hopeless situations. As long as God's on the throne, there's hope. Yeah, There's hope for the aged. There's hope for the addicts. There, there is hope for the affluent. There, 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 is, there is hope for anyone. The apathetic, there's hope. There's hope for America. Yeah, God's on the throne. They said, Pritchard, there in America is too far gone. Don't you tell me that. That's an insult to God to say that America is too far gone. That God could not send revival, honey. He can send revival. Yep. He can send revival to America, and 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 if and if you say, well, it's too far gone, he can send it to North Carolina, yep. and you may say, that's where I live, and you may say, well, preacher dear, North Carolina's too far gone. Well, then he can send it to Spruce Pine. Well, Spruce Pine's too far gone. Then he can send it to Bethel. Well, Bethel's too far gone. Well, he can send it to your Sunday school class or your connect group that you, well he sent it to your family well preacher i don't know well, i'll tell you what can he send it to you i mean the lord showed me that the future is in god's hands and his hands are on your hands you think about when joseph drew back when he drew back his daddy put his hands on joseph's hands as he drew back the bow he was going to guide him like a father and let me tell you something God's hands on your hands. 
And, and so you can have revival, looking for that blessed hope. And so there's been some days I didn't feel like I had much hope. Yeah. All days are good days. It's just that some days are better than other, others. But you ought to look for that blessed hope in every situation in life. And, and so there's, as long as he's on the throne, there's hope in, in all situations. You must say, Preacher Darren, the situation is hopeless. Listen, it's only that people have become hopeless about it. Yeah. That's, that's the truth, that people have become hopeless about it. We have got to remain hopeful and put our hope in God. That's what's going to, you know, because we don't live by explanations. God, give me an explanation why this happened. How come this? We don't live by explanations. We live by exceeding great promises found in the Word of God. And if we would learn to pray beyond our experience and the revival we had five weeks, God can send one seven weeks. God can send one uh, two months. You know, God can do anything. We've got to be hopeful and have hope. And hope, biblical hope, is not the absence of problems. Yeah. Biblical hope is knowing that Jesus is in your situation, no matter how great or how bad, no matter how hard or difficult or how wonderful that he's in the situation with you. And you can have peace in the middle of that, just have hope with it, you know? And so I've seen been there at Bethel now 22 years and counting, and and I'm thankful to see what God has done at the Bethel Baptist Church. And and, and I go back to the Zion Hill Baptist Church in Zirconia, North Carolina, and, and the Fletcher First Baptist. Dad's pastor there, and, and, and I, I'm, just, I'm just joy to hear the things that God's doing in his churches. Uh, and, and I love to see God working in, in local churches. And I love God's called you to preach. Yeah. And, and uh, you surrendered in October yep. of what year? 2016. October of 2016. Me was October of 94. He began to call me in October of 93. Um, my dad surrendered to preach in October of 78. Yeah. October, October, October. Again, just amazing how God lines things up. Yeah. Right? And, and, and you heard dad talk about his grandfather, uh, Gillespie, and, and how he had boys that went off to the war. One boy died young, I forget, 15, 16 years old. He had a lot of physical problems and stuff. But the other boys went off to war, and, and Grandpa would put up his, 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 his plow and mules and his, his, his oxen, and he would go back up in the woods, and he would pray, God, bring my boys home safely. He'd pray two and three times a day up there. God brought every one of his boys back. He said, God, would you call one of my boys to be a preacher? And, and not one of them boys ended up being a preacher, but Grandpa Glispie had a daughter, and she had a son would be your grandpa, Roy Waldrop. There was the preacher that Grandpa Glispie, he never got to see it, he went home to glory. But there's the preacher yeah. that was was Roy Waldrop. What about that? And, and, and in Grandpa's prayers, he got three generations. That's incredible. And, yeah. and some people say, well, Darren, you just ride your daddy's coattails and your, your mama called and daddy sent. Well, I'm telling you, if that's the truth, I've seen some pretty wonderful things in my life. Yeah. And I've also seen some pretty terrible things in my life. And I've seen God take people that had no hope at all and insert his hope in their life and his peace in their life and turn their world around. And I've seen it over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, there, when we were living in the parsonage, 
of the church at Bethel. Uh, we moved uh, to Bethel in 2001. I was two years old. We lived in Parsonage. Grew up there until I was probably, what, five, six years old? No, we probably we lived there about two years. You think? Yeah. You might have been four when okay. we left all there. When the – that is when the fireplace, right, the fireplace blew up there. Is that right? Yeah. And burned your face. Yeah. Right. It wasn't a fireplace. It was – I was going to say that's it wasn't a fireplace. It was a hot water heater. Yeah, that's what it was, a hot water heater. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about – Talk about that. Well, yeah, we, we had a hot gas hot water heater, and uh, it just went out. We had gas um, was available. We had um, not a great deal of wind. The pilot light on the gas water heater just went out. And So what do you do? You, I lit them before. You just go back and you relight it. So I went back and I pressed the gas, tried to relight it, wouldn't light. I waited five or ten minutes, came back, got back down on my face again. You had to lay on your face to light. Back on my face again, try to light it, wouldn't light. Cleared the area, five, ten minutes again, came back. This time, boom, it blew up in my face. It burnt off my eyebrows. It burnt off my eyelashes. It burnt into this right eye. It burnt the front of my hair off. I mean, it burnt it back to a crisp. It burnt my skin. It burnt all the hair and off my arms and places off my arms. My eye couldn't hardly even see out of it. it. Felt like it burnt into the eye itself. I just I was standing there just burnt, screaming, in pain. Your mom came running downstairs in the basement where the gas water heater was. Your mom came running. She goes, "What in the world, honey? What in the world?" I said, "I've got burned. I'm hurt. I'm hurt bad." She goes, "Okay, let's go to the hospital. Let's go to the hospital." I thought, man, if we go to the hospital, we're going to be there for hours before I'm ever even seen. They're so busy. And so we've got some nurses in our church family, and so we called some of the nurses, and they said, we'll meet you at the doctor's office. Come down here now. We've got some some type of salve that they could put on it to try to help ease it and soothe it and, and help. And and uh, they wanted to get a look at how bad the burns really were. And, um, they, and, and, and on the way there, I confessed every sin I ever committed. I confessed every sin I would ever commit. I confessed every sin you thought about committing. <laughs> uh, I just thought, God, why did you do this? Why did you let me get burnt to a crisp? I'm in such bad shape. It was awful. And uh, they put that stuff on me. I came back out of the car. Gina's in there talking to him about what to expect and what to do over the course of the night. And I, I, I sat back in the car, and I reconfessed everything. God, please, why did you do this to me? Lord, please, what have I done wrong? Please, oh, God, if you're chastising me, with me, please, Lord, please. Um, I went home, went to bed, laid there, hardly slept a wink. Next morning, woke up, um, and a lady in the church was having knee surgery. God said, you need to go to the hospital. I'm not going down there, Lord. I'm burnt. I'm hurt. But God said, she's expecting you to come. She needs her pastor to pray for her. You get right on down there. Lord, I'm telling you, there ain't nobody checked on me. I got burnt last night. Nobody's called me. You're going to go, okay, God, but I ain't wearing a tie. <laughs> and so, and I ain't staying for the whole thing. Yeah, I was, I, I was Jonah, right? I was yeah. just a bitter old dude. And so I, I went down there. Um, I think I did put on a tie loosely, very yeah. loosely. I couldn't button my collar because of the, the burns. But um, I, I got there about the time surgery was over. They put her in the room, and I started to walk in there, and the doctor came. He says, hold on just about 10 minutes. I need to check her out after surgery. So I went back out there and leaned up against the wall, and I thought, oh, I said I wasn't going to wait, and here I am having to wait, and I'm miserable. i got this stuff all over me. I'm hurting so bad. 
shouldn't even be here. Lord, you made me come down here. And a nurse comes up and says, Richard Dear Walter, I didn't. I knew, I knew, I was at the hospital so often, I knew most every girl that worked there. I didn't know this lady. I said, yes. She said, can you come with me? Sure. And visit with somebody? Okay. We're walking down the hall, following this lady. And she said, she has cancer. And they've given her just a few days, not weeks, not months, a few days to live. Would you speak with me? She opened. She shouldn't be telling me this. No, but she did. Yeah, went in the room. The lady was coherent enough to talk with me. I began to talk to her. Uh, not long because I was hurting so bad, and I cut right to the chase. And I said, "Can I, pr- ma'am? Can I pray for you? Pray with?" She said, "Sure." I said, "So, do you believe in prayer?" She said, and "This is a good way to talk to somebody about their salvation." Can you? Can I pray for you? Sure. Do you believe in prayer? Yes. Are you a Christian then? No. My mom was a Christian. My dad was an infidel. He pulled her away from the church, wouldn't let us grow up and go to church, and I've lived a wicked life. And I said, well, wouldn't you like to be saved? And she said, I I don't know that he could save me. I've been so wicked and I've gone so far. And I said, well, the Bible says... Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I said, so it's not up to me or up to you what you think. It's up to Jesus if you call. He died, he died on the cross for you. He was buried. He rose again on the first day of the week. I shared all this. And she said, well, I just don't know. I said, ma'am, will you look at me? Do you see these burns on my body right now? She said, I was just studying what was wrong with you. I said, oh, is it that bad? Am I that, mm. that hideous? I said, I, I was lighting the heater last night and told her what happened and the pain, the excruciating pain. And I was in pain just talking to her. And I was weeping. And, and, the, and the tears out of my eye hurt so bad because it, I burned. It was just, the salt was burning. And I said, ma'am, I don't want you to die and go to hell. And she said, I don't want to go through that either. I said, why don't you call on Jesus? And she said, I don't even know how to pray. I said, you believe he died on the cross? Yes, I do. They believe they buried him and he rose again? Yes, I believe that preacher. Is he knocking on your heart's door right now? My heart's beating out of my chest. Are you a sinner? Wicked, wicked. She called on him. I said, pray right now. She called on him laying there at bed. And she got saved. And I left out of that room. And I went and seen the little lady with the knee surgery. I left out of there and I went back down to the nurse's station to, I wanted to see the girl who had led me down there. And, um, I couldn't find her. I couldn't see her. And I said, hey, do you have a lady? She looks like this, you know. And they they said, no, we don't have anybody that looks like that. I mean, and maybe, what do you think? Maybe the Lord let me entertain angels unaware and sent her in a nurse's costume to walk me down there. Now, had I not been burnt, I mean, that lady could see. So sometimes... Not call myself good because there's none good, no, not one. But you may think, why do bad things happen to us when we're trying to serve God as best we can? Is it a whipping? Is it chastisement? God may put us through a storm that we might reach somebody else. Yeah. And through that storm, that lady got saved. And I'd do it again. And 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 uh in, incredible. And now here I am still sharing the story, and I've shared it other places. I've seen people be a testimony to people. And they get saved. I'm just telling you, 
there's no situation. God can save anybody. Right. Have hope. He's able to save. Amen. Right. Amen. All right. Um, let's talk about um, moving forward with adding on to the church. Um, it's a huge, huge leap of faith, huge step. Um, church yeah. church grew, and something needed to be done. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We started 144 my very first time I was there. They elected me. Um, I was preaching trial sermon. Um, and they elected me right after that. Um, yeah, we started growing. I mean, people getting saved right out of the gate. I mean, hundred and something people got saved the first year. Hundred and one got saved the first year I was there, and, and now we're running two hundred something service and, and the two hundred something people in every service. And, and the and the building won't hold it. We're putting out chairs. We're we're having people sitting in the lobby. We're having people stand across the back, you know. And it's it's just it's just unbelievable all that all that's happening. I mean, we we just can't get everything done. Uh, that that needs to be done, and or get all the people in it needs to be brought into the church. And and I told I, you know God started burning my heart, burning my heart. We we're trying to save money, um, and God said it's time to build now. And we voted to to add on to the building. We're going to turn it ninety degrees. We we drew the plans on the back of a piece of cardboard on our knees in the altar hmm. with an architect. This is kind of what we this is what we want to see with a piece of cardboard on. on with a crayon, a broken crayon from yeah. the Sunday school class, and and um, the church voted. Let's let's go forward. Let's do this project, and um, you know, turn it nine degrees. And and um, wow, uh, just just the the amazing things that we saw out of that. But we had to borrow. I mean, the the moment that we elected to do this, God sent a sinkhole in our prop, property. 40, 50, 60 feet deep, 70 feet wide, 40 feet across. U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had to be involved. Everything we'd saved, we lost, putting it into a drainage system and everything, you know, because we had like a hurricane came through with 12 inches of or 14 inches of rain in one night, yeah. and it wiped everything out and everything we'd saved. And I was like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And God said, be hopeful. Be hopeful. I'm on the throne. I can do this. It's not be too hard. We lost everything we've saved, and now what are we going to do? God said, I just blew it out. I showed you what's beneath the surface. That's needful for all of us. What we are here is not who we are in here. Yeah. And he showed what was beneath the surface. There would have been a problem there uh, that we would have had to deal with many years later. We just didn't know it. God said, I want it dealt with now. He fixed it. He repaired it. Uh, we stepped out and, and added to the sanctuary enough to see right at uh, 490 to 500 people. And um, we built the bill, had the building built, um, took 15 months, $1.9 million, that, which we didn't have. Yeah. And um, we still owe to this day on that. I'd love to see it get paid off. We still owe to this day on that, like 200 something thousand dollars. But every, every week I watch God just give us another hand. Full of meal in the meal barrel, yeah, and the meal barrels never run out the top for us. But he'd give us another handful of meal to make the next payment, or to try to pay a little bit extra on it to try to get whittle on it and get things done. And and um, you know, yeah, I just we added on to the building and we dedicated at three thirty three p.m. on I believe it was April the first, yeah, April Fool's Day. I uh, had uh, preacher Alan Laws come preach. He preached on Bethel, the house of God. I had my dad come preach message number two. You know what he preached on? Bethel, the house of God, <laughs> part two. It's two different messages, both titled the same, from the same text. And the two preachers knew of each other but didn't know what each other was going to preach. And, and that's what happened. And, and um, 
we outgrew that building. You what? We outgrew that building and needed more seating. We're having to put out chairs again yeah. at that point in time. And so across the back, there was a sound booth, there was a nursery, there was a Sunday school room, and an office. And the Lord showed me how to tear those walls down and redo that ceiling and the lighting to make it look original. And God said, if you'll do this, every seat that you put out, we call it the mezzanine area, and out behind the sanctuary, it kind of rises up like choir risers. God said, if you'll do this by faith, I'll save one person for every one chair you put in it. Yeah. I told our people, let's do it. Amen. Motion second, everybody in favor, let's do it. And we were able to pay cash as we went and got that done. And 70, God saved 75 people and it seated 75 people when they first laid the chairs out back oh. there. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. So that's how the mezzanine area, so that took us over. 500-something people capacity now to closer to 600. And, of course, with COVID, it, it backed back down. Right. You know, um, COVID, COVID, a lot of churches, oh, COVID was so bad, and, and it was. Um, but we need to think about Gideon. Um, God said, Gideon, you got too many with you. We need to cut them back. You got 32,000 men, let's cut them back. And, you know, he was, a third of them walked away. And he said, you still got too many. You got too many with you. And he ended up, out of 32,000 men, he ended up with 300, less than 1%. Now, church, God said, you got too many with you. So I'm going to send COVID. And our numbers got whittled back quite a bit, right? Yeah. But what happens to a tree when you prune it? It'll bear fruit and more fruit, much fruit, when you prune it. And we were pruned back. That yeah. was God's pruning. And some people left out of the church. We've still not seen them. Yep. And, and they're not coming back. And um, sometimes you wonder, when Paul was preaching, there was a young man that was sitting in the windowsill. It was late at night. It was the lights, the heat was rising, and the Bible said he fell out. Paul went and raised him back up, but he fell out. My question is, why didn't he fall in? Yeah. Because he was more out than he was in. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid that a lot of people during COVID, was more, you're going to get mad at me, maybe, but the truth's the truth. There's probably more out than there was in. You're leaning. You was in church, but you're kind of leaning out. You know, uh, back to my youth when I said, hey, we, was, we missed a Wednesday, then we missed a Sunday night, and then we, now we're missing a lot. Yeah, we were, we were getting more out than we were in until God brought corrective measures into our life, of chastisement for our disobedience, and that gave us a desire to get back right with him. And so for those that got out, I, I wouldn't want to be them because I think corrective actions are happening in their life probably. But, but nonetheless... Our, our church numbers went down, and, and, and it's, it's little by little. You know, it's, it's, it's I mean, what, how do you feel? It's continuing to grow and, yeah. and thrive, and God sent us new people, new pe people that were in debt, people that were discontent, people that wanted to serve God. God has sent us people that were hungry for the things of God. What a great work God is doing before our lives. In spite of our pastor, God is doing a great work. Um. It is, it's definitely amazing to see what God um, is doing, um, even still. I mean, he's been working all these years, and he's still, he's still working. He's still going to work. Um, he never changes. Gave us a school. Yeah. There's a Christian school that God allowed us to start back in 2012, and, and, and God just added to it and added to it and added to it, and, and we've, we've had to add on to that building yep. and paid cash for it. And now that building is filled again to capacity 
we don't know what we're going to do. Yeah, I, I'm riddled with $200,000 worth of debt in our current church building, and I, I, that keeps me from going forward into what we'd like to do for our school. And, and, we, and we, you know, we just don't know. And, and what did I just preach just last night? The miracle meal. Yeah. And, and how those disciples said 200 penny worth is not enough. And what they did was, in their accounting and their calculating approach, is they left God out of the equation. Yep. Right? And God could take five loaves and two fishes. There may be somebody's going to give us five loaves and two fishes, and it's going to do the whole thing, brother. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know what God's going to do. And, and so right now we're just we're waiting patiently on the Lord. Yep. Um, you talked about Pennyworth, and so it makes me think of the story of the penny. Um, you preached great message. Um, it's you've you've probably preached it many different places, um, as evangelists would. Um, you get a message, and God says, "This ain't a one-time message. Go preach it somewhere else." And it's called on in other places. And so, uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, that penny's got Abraham Lincoln on the front of it. In fact, last night, somebody at church said that they had got a hold of a, I think it was a wheat penny that they had found. It's got Abraham Lincoln on the front of it. And uh, I'll share with him, you know, 39 reasons why the penny represents Jesus. And I'll just give you one. It says it's one. It's worth, how much is a penny worth? Yeah. One cent. Yep. And Jesus is the one cent. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. And so you just look at that. There's all these points about it. I went and got a, I mean, I got a penny that was that big, you know, to, 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 um, to share that with everybody. But I think less than the penny and how the penny represents Christ, um, what a great lesson there is in that. And at the same time, the lost coins, you know. Yeah. Camp Zion, the lost coins, and the burden of my heart, and seeing souls saved. I, you know, when the night the, before you got saved, I'd been preaching revival at Lackey Town Baptist Church in Old Fort, North Carolina, wonderful church. And um, I'd had workers in my house uh, coming in working. We were redoing our kitchen, if I remember right. And um, I'd, I had found a penny. I went to bed. I tried to pray in my recliner, on my knees in my recliner, and I'd go to bed. Um, and the next morning when I got up, there laid a brand-new penny right beside my recliner. It was not there when I went to bed. Nobody had been in their house. There laid a penny. And I thought, well, I've seen God do a great work through finding lost coins and how it humbles me to have to bow down and lift that coin up off the ground, off the earth, and lift it like Jesus lifted me when he saved me. And it and it humbles me, but it also gets me involved in get to thinking about souls being saved, souls being lifted, souls being delivered. And I lifted that penny and I said, There's some workers coming in here today. Maybe they're gonna get saved. I witnessed to them all afternoon long. Nothing happened. We went to revival that night, and you got saved. Hmm. And God was trying to show me that that penny was lost and found in my house. Yeah. The woman with that coin in the Bible, in the book of Luke, the Bible says she lit a candle. That's Jesus. She swept her house. That's Holy Spirit conviction. She searched diligently. That's God looking for that with those that are lost in search of those that are lost. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in that parable, right? And God burdened their heart to find lost coins. In fact, just today, you and I went out to eat with our wives earlier tonight. What did we find? Two dimes. Two dimes. Yep. Two dimes. 
And, 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 and immediately when we found him, God's going to save 20 people. I don't know if he's going to save 20 at Bethel, if he's going to save 20 at Fletcher, Zion Hill, Balfour Baptist, East Flat Rockford, wherever it's going to be, Mexico, Canada, wherever. God's going to save souls. Yeah. And it gets me to praying when I find them, God, just go ahead and do it. And, and, and yeah, I mean, we're bound down to pick up those pennies. We found them in a roadway, and there was cars having to wait yeah. while they're like, what are y'all doing? Y'all are making us wait. We're in a hurry. Well, guess what? God wasn't in too big. Jesus wasn't in too big of a hurry. No. When he was dying on that cross, amen. No. Praise God for it. Yeah. Um, I believe now, I may be wrong, and if I'm wrong, I'm going to cut it out. Um, but if I'm right, we're going to leave it in. I believe that there, when we was building the church, um, that people had rocks and they yes. prayed over those rocks yes. and they put them under the altar of what's currently the altar of the church. Yes, sir. I'd preached a, I'd preached a message out of the book of Revelations on the white stone uh, and how the Lord would give you a white stone, which represents uh, absolution, forgiveness, uh, purity, you've been clean, saved. And I told our people, I said, I want you to go out and get me white rocks. And you're not just going to pick them up, throw them in a pail and bring them to me. You're going to get these rocks because this represents, you're going to pick up one for every person that's on your heart. You've got a mama, a daddy, a brother, a sister, a family member, a friend that's lost. I want you to pick up a white stone. I want you to bring it to the service. And we're going to preach that night. And we're going to dedicate these rocks to God and pray that God saves souls. And he may say, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You're right. Amen. It's the craziest thing I ever heard, too. But God said, do it. And so we did it. All these, I mean, rocks, bundles of rocks came in, put them in this great big wash tub. They got ready to pour the concrete under our altar at the church. I went down there to those men. Here they were. They've got their, you know, you're pouring concrete, got their galoshes on that they're wading through it, you know, and they got their hats and rugged, rough-looking bunch of men. And, um, the, they've inspected it ready, you know, to pour the concrete. And, and I said, fellas, uh, that's, that altar's not ready to be poured yet. They said, what? I said, do not pour the concrete out of that truck. It's not ready yet. It, yes, it is. No, it's not. And they said, well, tell us what's wrong. And I went and waited on that black plastic. I pulled that black plastic back. I poured them rocks out. I smoothed them rocks out all over that altar that had been prayed over that represented the souls of people I laid down on top of them. I begged God, save them, Jesus, save them. And when I finished praying and got up and pulled that black plastic over, I looked at them fellers, and they had their hats off. <laughs> they were standing there leaned up on, shove, on, on, you know, on yeah. shovels and stuff. And they were like, I said, boys, it's ready to pour now. Go right ahead. And they were like, I've been doing this 30 years, and I ain't never in my life seen this ever happen. They, they told how many churches. I said, I have never been stopped while a preacher prays in the altar on a bunch of rocks. And I'm telling you, I've seen more than 20 people come back to me and say, that was my rock. Yeah. Just got saved. That was my rock. That was my mama. That was my daddy. Just got saved. I've seen it countless and countless times. If God says do it and I'm going to make it good, say yes to God. Yeah. He's going to do it. Amen. Yeah. Well, I could tell stories all night. So oh, I, mean, I know we've it. been on here for and an I, hour plus. Yeah, and, I could. I could ask questions all night too. Yeah, and maybe we'll have a time keep. where maybe we'll have a time. Now I'm probably setting myself up. You you suggested we'll have a time where people would call in and ask questions, and yep. I'm like, oh boy, yep. that put me on the spot. Probably we have not had to edit anything yet, <laughs> right? but we may have to. Yep. I, I don't know what's going to happen when that when that night happens, but. 
But uh, thank y'all for tuning in to the Back to Bethel podcast. It's been a joy uh, to have y'all tune in, and I know we've been lengthy, and it's it's good to tell all these facts that God's done. But let me just tell you, they are facts. God is a miracle-working God, and I'm telling you, you need to look for the blessed hope because I'm telling you, he's coming, amen. Hey, Luke, sign us out, son. Thank you for tuning in to the Back to Bethel podcast. We ask that you like, comment, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube.